Hey girl, welcome to the Empower Her podcast, where we are all about taking purpose-driven action toward building lives we really freaking love. My name's Keisha, and I'm an entrepreneur obsessed with giving you actual tools to help take you from where you are now to where you want to go in your life, career, and relationships. And this podcast, it's all about real talk and having some fun as we share incredible stories, tips, and tricks to help us get out of our own way and unapologetically make some moves. So girlfriend, let's do the damn thing. Hey girl, I'm so excited that you're here for today's episode because on the show, we have Kelly McGonigal. She is a woman that I so deeply admire. And by the end of this episode, I think you are going to absolutely love her too. She's a health psychologist who specializes in understanding the mind-body connection. And she's a best-selling author of one of Sina and I's favorite books called The Upside of Stress. You might've heard about it because she actually did a TED Talk Um, It was titled, How to Make Stress Your Friend. It's one of the most viewed TED Talks ever with over 22 million views. And she wrote another amazing book about the willpower instinct. And now her latest book is called The Joy of Movement. And this book is really cool. The premise of it that we talk a lot about in today's episode, it explores why physical exercise is a powerful antidote to the modern epidemics of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. And we dive into the science. So if you're listening to this podcast while you're doing a workout, you are going to be so pumped. Or if you're on a walk, you're just moving your body. You're going to feel so grateful. I think the feeling that you're going to have when you leave this episode is going to be really powerful. And if you're not, you're going to be inspired to take action in your life and you're going to have it backed up with a ton of science that's going to make you feel knowledgeable and empowered. So I can't wait to hear what you think of this episode. If you vibe with it, please take both of us on Instagram so we can hear your takeaways. And without further ado, let's dive right in. Kelly, I am so excited that you're here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am really so honestly just obsessed with your work. I feel like the way that you show up and the content that you put out through your books and of course your really infamous TED Talk and everything that you've done is just so powerful because you combined science and storytelling and you just back up all of this research and it really has been so impactful in my life. And I know- I'm so like, I'm psyched to hear that. And I'm always curious how people, like what the gateway is. Do you remember what the first like idea or aha moment was that you remember associated with with a talk or a book? Yep. It was, um, it was your Ted talk, Mm -hmm. which I know has like 20 something million views at this point. And I just think that so much science out there, of course, supports the negative impacts of stress. But for me, I was just kind of blown away in particular when you talked about D H E A. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know a lot of the verbiage behind it or the science. My background is definitely not similar to yours in that regard, but I loved just being empowered with the knowledge behind why I could control my mindset and in turn that my body would be impacted. Yes, that that your body can actually be a resource. I think so often we feel like our body is betraying us every time we feel stressed out or anxious. It's like we're lugging around this, you know, physiology, this brain that is um, sort of getting in the way of being our best selves. So yeah, I think one of the the reasons I gave that TED talk was to help people feel like less at war with their instincts, less at war with their body. 
to have this sense of, of self-trust and that there is something you can do to harness your natural capacity for resilience or for courage. Oh, I love that. Okay. So I just want to dive right into that concept actually, because in your new book, which I love and I've listened to on Audible, it's a great listen, by the way, to listen to it, the joy of movement while you're running and you're talking about the runner's high. That was great. I was like, ah, yes, my body. Like I'm so grateful for it right now. Um, So I want to talk, kind of give us an overview of why you decided to write this book and kind of what led you to this book from, you know, the upside of stress and the willpower instinct, like what made you want to write this book and why? I think I've always wanted to write this book. Um, I'm somebody who has, who has found through exercise and movement, yoga, dance, you know, traditional exercise. um, I've found for myself it's a, a tremendous resource for dealing with anxiety and stress and building community and increasing my sense of hope. And um, the whole time that I have been working as a psychologist and a researcher and writing these other books, I've also been teaching group movement, yoga and dance particularly, for 20 years. So this is my passion. Um, and uh, I'm finally at the point in my career where when I said to my publisher, you know this thing that, that, that you think is like the, the funny detail about me, how much I love exercise and movement that I teach these dance classes, like you think that's the the, uh, like the side anecdote, like I'm here to tell you, this is like who I really am and what I really care about. And it's time to do the book. Um, And I feel like, you know, so as you know, I'm a health psychologist and there's lots of things I recommend to people that can be good for your mental health and for your, your happiness and your joy and your sense of belonging. I'm, I'm here to support anything the science says can help um, or that through your direct experience you recognize can help, but there's nothing like exercise. When you look at the scientific literature There is nothing like exercise in terms of its ability to change the function and the structure of your brain, like to literally remodel your brain to make you more sensitive to joy and more resilient to stress. There's nothing like movement to help, you know, form communities and bring people together. There's nothing that you can choose that is as cheap and accessible as exercise that is an effective antidepressant or anti-anxiety. I mean, it's just... It, it is the literature, the research is so overwhelming. So I was hoping that what this book would do, rather than necessarily be a, a persuasive um, you know, book, like, like scolding people, you really should exercise. I wanted mm-hmm. to share science and stories that give people a feeling, which is really the feeling yes. that most people have when they do finally fall in love with movement, a sense of hope, a sense of belief in themselves, a, a reimagining of what might be possible, and even like a faith in human nature. <laughs> Um, I wanted people to have that feeling when they read the book or listen to the book and that feeling that you described. I mean, feeling grateful to your body while you're out on a run, like that is such a beautiful way to cultivate self-compassion and and self-kindness and self-love. And the body's also a vehicle for that. And too often the body is a vehicle for self-criticism or for Mm -hmm. shame, you know, that uh, I thought, you know, this book might also help people change their experiences with their body and with movement by giving them a new way to think about it. And you just nailed it with the style of the book because I loved the concepts in particular that you just kind of touched on of making your brain more receptive for joy and also resilient for stress. But the social connection part is so interesting and it's really I think very impactful for people to understand the science behind things because we hear like exercise is good for you. It's important to move, you know, just kind of the 
the high level stuff, but can you dig into like how your brain is actually impacted by exercising in the short term? And then the, um, some of the studies that you talked about in the book about the long-term effects of movement in general on your brain, just as an overview. Yeah. So let's talk short term. You mentioned the runner's high and there's something called basically an exercise high. You don't have to run to get it. You just have to get your heart rate up a little bit and, and move continuously. So, you know, if there's an activity that you can enjoy swimming, hiking, cycling, dancing, yoga, weightlifting, um, it's probably going to give you this type of high. Um, and in the short term, we know that, that getting your heart rate up using your muscles, it increases brain chemicals that, um, enhance pleasure. And, and really dial down the inner states that most of us are trying to decrease, like physical pain and anxiety. So some of those chemicals we've heard about, like endorphins, you know, everyone knows there's an endorphin rush when you exercise. Um, but a lot of people don't know some of the other chemicals that are increased when you exercise. One is endocannabinoids, which is a super interesting class of brain chemicals that cannabis mimics. Um, but when your brain releases natural levels of endocannabinoids when you exercise, it's a little bit different than getting stoned. Um, it basically, <laughs> it, it makes the sort of the inner aversive states like your anxiety, those thoughts you can't get rid of, those intrusive memories, the fears about the future, all of those get dialed down. Um, and at the same time, endocannabinoids, same time that they're quieting down fear in the brain, stress, anxiety, pain in the brain, endocannabinoids are basically amping up anything good that's happening in your brain and anything good that's happening in that moment. So they enhance the effect of endorphins. They enhance the effect of dopamine. They enhance the effect of adrenaline and other neurochemicals that make you feel energized, that make you feel hopeful. And in particular, since you mentioned social connection, endocannabinoids seem to really enhance social joy. So when endocannabinoid levels are higher, it feels more fun to play with others, to be silly. It feels more rewarding to cooperate with others. Um, High fives feel better. Hugs feel better. Making eye contact, even with strangers, is feels better and sort of less uh, less risky. Um, If you're able to help other people, you get more of that warm glow of the helper's high. Everything that is good about interacting with other people, endocannabinoids, they basically put you in a brain state that say, yes, be this social version of yourself. Be open to others. Let yourself experience the social joy. And there's, I won't get into it, but there's a whole lot of thinking about why from an evolutionary point of view, it would be super helpful to have a brain that is in a state that makes you open to others and and able to experience social joy and what that might have to do with being physically active. But I think of that as being one of the sort of the core effects of exercise is that it doesn't only reduce anxiety and stress. It doesn't only you know, give you sometimes that, that mild sense of euphoria that people often describe as the runner's high, but that it profoundly changes who you are and your capacity to enjoy being a, like a social creature, being a human being, connecting with strangers and with friends and loved ones. Um, so those are some of the short-term effects. And yeah. I, have, have you experienced that? Like when you go out for a run, are oh, you a better version of yourself I, afterwards? Well, and also even just think of when you're out there, like the little, like the runner's head nod. I know running's not yeah. your favorite, but I'm sure, sure your sister 
you talked about her in the in the book a little bit of you wanting to head nod with strangers of like we're at this you're, we're at this together and like that community piece that you see in your classes it's it's really powerful and you feel like you're part of something bigger and instantly I just feel more excited about how I want to show up and um, how capable I feel which is something that you did talk yes. about too that is I would say a real short term and of course long term I want to talk about that but the short term benefit of how capable you feel that you are like what's the science behind that because I know you talked about how you can redefine like what you actually think of yourself which is so powerful great yes let's talk about that from a couple of different angles so one thing um one thing that psychologists sometimes call the feel better effect is the fact that when you exercise of any intensity any dose we're talking like three minutes do anything or however long you want to work out the most reliable change in people's mood is that they feel more positive and more energized. And I often think of that as being like, it's the biology of hope or the biology of confidence. So you can start out having a ton of energy, but it feel really negative because you're angry or you're feeling really anxious. And it'll translate that energy into positive energy so that you feel confident, you feel bold, you feel ready to take on the world. You could start in a negative state without a lot of energy, feeling depressed or sad um, or bored. And exercise tends to move you up towards positive and give you energy that you were lacking before. So again, you feel confident and capable and energized and hopeful. And that's called the feel better effect. No matter where you start in terms of energy and positive or negative mood, being active tends to move people towards being more positive and more energized, which is pretty funny because if you ask people, most people think exercise will make them feel less energized. They, they predict they'll be exhausted afterwards, which is a funny sort of like psychological gap where people reliably mispredict how much better they'll feel after they exercise. Um, just sort of like side note, if you find yourself telling yourself that, like, oh, I don't have the energy to exercise today, like just know that that is almost certainly not true, that you will be more energized afterward than you feel now. So that's part of it. But as you mentioned, that, that movement can change what you feel you're capable of, in part because of the feedback that you get from your body. So I think we're used to thinking about ourselves, you know, based on how we look in the mirror or how you look in your selfie and your posts on Instagram or what other people say about you and the feedback that they give to you. But we know that the brain's sort of most powerful sense of self comes from direct feedback from your body. What your brain can sense is happening in your muscles, in your joints, in your heart, in your gut, in your, your breathing. And so your brain is always creating the sense of self that's based on what you're doing. And one of the often like the most depressing sense of self comes when you are sedentary, you are like not doing anything, your heart rate is low, you're not breathing deeply, your muscles are stagnant. And that produces a sense of self that can actually be literally depressing or anxiety inducing. And we know that as soon as people begin to become more physically active, again, this can happen like in a moment, this doesn't require a two hour workout that because your heart rate is increasing, because you are energized, because you are breathing more deeply, because your muscles are being used, that the sense of self you have becomes almost immediately more confident and more optimistic because your brain perceives you as being engaged with life. Your brain perceives you as making progress, moving forward. One of the researchers I talked to called it the uh, achievement sensation, that literally moving your body tells your brain you are accomplishing something or achieving something, which can create an upward spiral that you have the sense of purpose and possibility. And that translates into being able to face whatever is next on your, your to-do list. 
And then also, when you think about the movements people do in exercise, how many sensations you can get that tell your brain, I'm strong, I'm powerful, mm. I'm fast, I'm free, I'm beautiful, I'm graceful, whatever it is. I know that when I do kickboxing, I get literal you know, feedback from my muscles to my brain that say, I, I am strong, that I am fierce. And that's a really good antidote to you know, other stories in my head that might be saying things like, I can't handle this. Um, yeah. And I think every movement form, when people find a movement form that feels empowering to them, it's often because the movement itself is telling you who you are. Oh, gosh. It, it's everything. I mean, I can see why you are so passionate about this because obviously you're passionate about all your work, but this is the foundation of getting people to, to move in some regard. So my question on that before we go more long-term is... Can you tell us about the science that supports, like, how do we release the most, like, endorphins or um, endocannabinoids or whatever? Like, how do we get optimal benefits of exercise? Is there a particular type of exercise? What I'm excited about is someone listening to this right now that is on a run or doing a kickboxing workout that's like, yes, and so pumped. But is there science behind what type of exercise we should be doing to get the most benefit? Yeah, I want, so I will give you some scientific nuggets that I think are interesting and encouraging. But I need to preface this by saying the overwhelming evidence is that whatever you are willing to do is going to give you most of these benefits. And I know people like love to like really maximize their benefits and be very strategic about things. And we're so used to hearing that from people who are trying to tell you how to burn the most calories. The, the thing with this science is if you're listening and you are overwhelmed by prescriptive advice like that, I want you listening to know that if there is something that you can find any joy or meaning in anything you're willing to do, it is going to have these benefits and do not get hung up in the idea that you have to do a high intensity interval training or you have to run if all you're capable of doing today is walking. I don't want people to feel like there's some sort of, there's something they have to do in order to get these benefits. Now that said, Mm -hmm. there is some interesting research so of things that can amplify these benefits. One thing I will say is if you want to increase your endorphin rush when you exercise, music is one of the most powerful ways to do it because music, when there's music that you enjoy and like and has maybe a good beat or has lyrics that inspire you, it gives you an immediate increase in endorphins, dopamine, and adrenaline, which allows you to work harder and enjoy it more and often put a really positive spin on the workout. So if you know, whoever your favorite artist is, a hip-hop artist, a country artist, a pop artist, and they are singing to you or talking to you about you know, how amazing you are and how powerful you are, it just it changes how it feels to break a sweat or for your legs to begin to feel tired. It, you, you sense it in a different way. And, uh, and those endorphins help you, you know, persist and, and enjoy what you're doing. So that's more about not thinking the, about the type of exercise, but like, could you create a playlist that transforms what you're able to do if you're on the treadmill or you're going for a walk or you're, you know, going to a class? Is it the music that really inspires you? Um, another thing we know is that moderate intensity is absolutely sufficient for the endocannabinoid um, change that I talked about and may even be ideal. So if what you're looking for is feeling more hopeful, less stressed, and and better able to connect with others, um, that moderate intensity, which you you don't have to measure your heart rate to know if it's moderate. Moderate is basically, you can tell you're working hard, 
but you could keep going a little longer. And if that's Mm. how you feel, yes, it's a little bit challenging. Maybe I'm breathing a little more. I can feel my heart rate is up, but I don't have to stop in the next minute. I'm not doing everything I can to just like go the next second. That's moderate intensity. And there's so many activities fall into that category. And almost any activity can be done at that intensity. Um, And then the other thing I'll say is if you're looking for, uh, if you're looking to really bond deeply with people and you want to increase hormones like oxytocin, which is a a strong bonding hormone, um, higher intensity can really amplify the deep bonding effects of movement. And this is one reason why you know, people who run marathons or ultra marathons or people who are, who are working to their absolute capacity in places like CrossFit or Orange Theory, or I'm not sponsored by any of these brands. I'm just you know, thinking about the yeah, brands yeah. that people have told me um, that, that when you are working at very high intensity, it particularly seems to amplify the social bonding effects. And that's one of the reasons to be willing to try maybe a harder workout than you're initially drawn to is when you know that as a result of going through that with other people, the bonds that you can form are pretty powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that you see in the science. But again, I think the overwhelming evidence is that this is a matching process. You as an individual need to figure out the movement that feels possible to you with the body that you have now hopefully a movement form that feels meaningful to you in some capacity. Like you like the idea of being a runner or you like Mm -hmm. the idea of being out in nature or you like the idea of being a dancer. You like the idea of being a power lifter that it speaks to you. That is going to make it, that's going to bring out all of these benefits. And then if you can find a community to do it with, um, that also increases all of the benefits. Oh, I love that. Okay. So when you talk about um, the short-term benefits of exercise, you mention a lot about how your brain becomes more receptive for joy. Can you explain that just in general, like how that functions in your brain? Yeah. So this is really, you see these differences emerge over the long term. So in the short term, things like endorphins and endocannabinoids, um, it sort of give you a momentary capacity to enjoy life more. And that might persist. There's not great research saying it lasts exactly two hours. You know, there's some research suggesting it certainly persists for longer than your workout, maybe a few hours. But in the long term, what's really fascinating is that because of how exercise basically jumpstarts your reward system, in part through some of these brain chemicals we've talked about, in part through the fact that, that movement uses the same brain system as the the system of your brain that makes you feel motivated and hopeful. So it's all running on dopamine. Um, Like the same brain chemicals that literally help you move your legs or move your arms, help you look forward to things in life and help you take action on things that are important to you and help you um, feel good about that. So we know that exercise jumpstarts the reward system. And it does so in a way that resembles um, a really interesting cutting edge treatment for depression. Um, and it's actually, it's also being used now for um, addiction as well, because in depression and addiction, often the symptoms are, are caused or contributed um, by an underactive reward system. So like your brain can't look forward to things. Your brain can't take joy in ordinary pleasures. Your brain doesn't get that same sort of benefit from being around other people. You see this in grief as well. Um, and so one of the, the most cutting edge treatments is to literally implant an electrode in people's reward systems um, that's attached to a pulse generator in their chest. So you're, you're becoming, you know, like you have technology <laughs> embedded in your brain and in your chest. 
Um, yeah. And it delivers this continuous pulse to your reward center that's like, wake up, wake up, wake up. And uh, it seems to be very effective for even the most treatment-resistant depression and also seems to help people recover from um, addiction. Wow. So exercise seems to do the same thing, but in a low-tech way, that every time you exercise, it's basically saying to your reward system, wake up, wake up, wake up. And what both of those things do, exercise and uh, to the degree that we understand it, this, this deep brain stimulation, is that it changes um, your brain's structure. It makes the receptors in your reward system more available. So it's, it's almost like your brain is saying, oh, we're going to get this flood of dopamine. We're going to get this flood of endorphins, uh, this flood of endocannabinoids. Let's make sure they have somewhere to go so that they can have an effect. And so the receptors in your brain become more available to these chemicals that make you hopeful and make you able to experience joy in life. And that's, that's a, both a functional and a structural change. You can see, you know, one study was, was looking at uh, an increase in number of dopamine receptors uh, among people who had lost dopamine receptors because of chronic drug use, which you know can really knock your reward system out. Um, so that's I think that this is phenomenal. There's yeah. I've not found anything in the research that has this effect on your reward system besides deep brain stimulation, which is not you you can't do it yourself, and it's not <laughs> right. it's not available don't, to everyone. Don't try who needs this it. at home. <laughs> Please don't try this at home. Um, but like that exercise is like do it yourself deep brain stimulation, and yes, it is hard to do if you are depressed or grieving or you know struggling with motivation. I know that, and at the same time, like, I've been there too. There have been moments in my life when I've been depressed and dealing with grief where my brain stopped giving me the immediate um, reward for exercising. And it was much more difficult to do. But the thing that I want to encourage anyone listening who sort of feels that way, like, oh, great, you're telling me to exercise. It's going to help with my depression. But like, do you have any idea how hard it is to even get started? I do mm-hmm. actually understand how hard it is to get started. And the thing that I, I want to let people know who feel like they're in that place is that if you can find a way to get started by supporting yourself or asking for help from other people, whatever will allow you to just begin, that this is what allows your brain to use its natural capacity to recover. That exercise, basically, it, like, it's, it kicks in the brain's capacity for adaptation and for recovery in an amazing way. And so if you can just get through the early part where it's so hard or it doesn't feel good, you're not getting that runner's high yet, you know, studies suggest within about six weeks, you're seeing a different brain, that you will now have a brain that not only enjoys exercise more, but enjoys life more. Wow. So if someone is, you would recommend like the tangible little tip there of someone that's like, Kelly, I hear you, but like, I can't stay consistent with working out. Like I, I love this science. Like I know that this is good for me, but the woman listening is struggling with just getting started. Would your tips be around accountability or is there any science that backs kind of how to help someone get started? Yes. So there are some practical details, but also some motivational details. So there's a lot of research looking at the motivation for exercise and what predicts whether or not people will stick with it. And this is surprising to a lot of people, but motivations that are related to weight or appearance are most likely to predict people quit. Um, If you think that exercise is about losing weight, burning calories, fixing your body, looking better, 
It doesn't even matter if you start to make progress on those goals. You are more likely to quit. There's something about those motivations and probably how they're tied into shame and self-criticism, fearing being judged by others, that almost saps the joy that, that is inherent to movement. It makes it more difficult to connect with others. It makes it more likely that while you're exercising, the, the inner monologue isn't about how amazing and powerful you are, but about sort of what's wrong with your body or punishing yourself for something you ate. So the first like tip that this is not about when to schedule your exercise, this is check in with how you're talking to yourself about your why for movement. And uh, even if you think that health is like the most important thing, to find a why, um, certainly, you know, so health is an important thing. But if your why feels like it's really connected to weight or appearance, to find a why that feels more connected to joy, mental health, social connection, um, that these are motivations that when they are clear, and people will say, this is the number one reason I'm choosing to exercise, people are much more likely to stay with it. So take a moment and think about what that why is. And can you imagine a form of movement? Like, what is that, what is that outcome you want? Do you want to feel like there's something in your life that is giving you more energy to be a better version of yourself at work? Do you want to strengthen your relationships? And we know that people who exercise more regularly have better relationships with others. On days when people exercise, they report more positive interactions with friends and family. Uh, they report more feeling more loved and supported by their partner. And there's so many mm-hmm. positive outcomes from movement. If you can find the one that feels deep and rich and positive to you, that has nothing to do with what you look like or whether your body is acceptable to others that is going to be a huge step in the right direction. The other thing that I say is uh, when you're first getting started is if you know that movement is an opportunity to connect to other things that you love, I mean, like so many forms of movement are an excuse to, to do something else that you love or be with other people that you love and look for a form of exercise that feels that way for you. So for me, I think the, the type of exercise that I'm most likely to choose and do and not talk myself out of is a, uh, Exercise that allows me to experience the joy of music. And I'm, I'm one of those people who will lip sync in any class you put me in. I'm that person on like this, the spinning bike and I'm lip syncing for my life. I'm like in a dance class. It's like I'm on a Broadway stage. Like, you know, I, I'm giving it my all. That is like such an endorphin rush for me. Um, yes. and, and movement just makes it even better than if I'm sitting, you know, in front of YouTube reading lyrics off of a video, <laughs> whatever. Oh, I mean, that's sure. such a silly, embarrassing example, but For a lot of people, it's going to be something like that. Like adopt a dog, love your dog and take your dog for a walk. That's Mm -hmm. exercise. It will give you all of these benefits. And maybe you're looking for that extra love in your life. So get a dog. You know, maybe you want to spend more time in nature because you notice when you're in nature, you feel uplifted. You feel connected to something bigger than yourself. So look for a way to move your body in nature. Um, Maybe you're looking to experience more play because your work is super stressful. You feel like you're always competing maybe in a way that's, that's just stressful and not rewarding. And you want to like work on a team. You want to be part of a team. So find like a recreational sports community or some sort of club where you can feel a little bit of that, that energy of competition, but that it feels really rewarding and satisfying to also be cooperating and having fun and playing. I don't know what it is for you, for the listener, but, but exercise is often a gateway to other things that make human beings happy. And that's where if you start with that, again, you're more likely to stick with it. And I love that advice because it's like take inventory for yourself as a unique individual 
and it's not giving. And that's why I also really enjoyed this book is because you're talking, you know, you share a lot of different stories in it, but it's also to the woman that likes to understand some of the science behind it. That might also motivate you to want to take action. And then you tie in the fact that you've got music or you've got the thing that does make you pumped in your life to connect with other people or be outside or all of the things that you just mentioned, Kelly, like it's just a permission slip to take inventory for yourself of what's going to make you happy and then back it up with science, which for me really actually makes me feel even more fulfilled because I'm like, look what I'm doing for my body. This is amazing. I feel that way too. I I think about what my muscles, like my muscles secreting (laughs) antidepressant chemicals into my bloodstream when I exercise. I'm like, like, Legs, you are amazing. But you, you actually made me think of one thing which we haven't talked about yet. And I always feel remiss if I don't mention this in an interview. Um, people often think that when I use the word exercise or I talk about some of these forms of movement we've been talking about, that I'm talking to people without physical disabilities, without serious health challenges. I'm talking to young people only. You know, that, that there's a stereotype we have about who's allowed to and who can enjoy different activities. And um, in the book, I made a very conscious choice to make sure maybe 80, 90% of the people I feature are dealing with a serious mental health challenge or a physical disability or a neurological disorder like Parkinson's disease or this young woman who had a stroke in her 20s and found through running a way to recover, not just physically, but psychologically from the Mm -hmm. trauma of having a stroke in your 20s. Um, People of all sizes all races, all everything you can imagine um, because I wanted people to see themselves represented in the book. And it's very important for people to understand that none of what we're talking about, whatever obstacle you have to movement, it's not an obstacle to experiencing the joys of movement. It just means, you know, being thoughtful about where you move, how you move and what you do. But all over, all over the world, all over the planet, there are movement communities that make every form of movement you can imagine accessible to whatever body you have, including limitations and disabilities and injuries and, and all of that. So I just, yes. I want to make sure we put that on the table because it's, it's too easy. The way that our culture talks about exercise, it's too easy if you don't say that out loud for the message to not, to the message to accidentally be the opposite. Well, and it's powerful that you did that too, because I think of the fact, you know, I'm 30 and I think of this book and some of the science that you described in it and some of the stories like, you know, of even elderly women that you can use that as a tool. If you're a woman listening to this, who has a a parent or someone who is, you know, deciding that they're not capable of doing something that you can encourage them and maybe do something with them and, and use some of these examples that can inspire that other person. I mean, okay. So talking about women who are older, we have everything in the book from a woman in her 60s who is an adventure athlete and an ultra endurance athlete who is literally doing the most insane things imaginable in terms of physical strength, physical risk, you know, running hundreds of miles in the Sahara Desert. So that's one way to be active in your 60s. And we have, a, you know, I feature a woman in a dance class for people with Parkinson's disease yeah. who's facing real limitations, will, you know, likely um, end up at some point in a wheelchair. And is still experiencing joy through movement in a community of people who share her challenge. To the woman in her 60s who started running half marathons in her 60s. um, And that, and now it's like the greatest joy in her life. So again, there is, it it can take so many different forms. And this is, this is true if you're in your 20s too. It's about meeting who you are now, asking yourself, 
who do I want to become? I mean, so the other thing we haven't talked about yet is that movement is a big metaphor. And when you commit to any movement form, you go to your first yoga class, you go to your first strength training class, you're watching YouTube videos and trying to figure out how to do you know, a new dance routine, that it is a process of growth. And, and movement is such an incredible way to experience yourself as someone who can learn, grow, and change in ways that are personally meaningful and often in ways that surprise you. Like, you know, I remember the first time I did a headstand away from the wall, which was so yeah. scary. And I was like, I, I don't know that I ever imagined that I would be able and willing to do that. And uh, people have, often have these aha moments in every movement form. Um, and I'm thinking about, you know, people who learn to swim as adults who had thought they would always have a fear of the water. Um, I, one woman, it was in a bar class, the first time she was able to go from a forearm plank to a full plank to just literally push herself up and yeah. sense her own strength in that way. It was one exercise and it like radically transformed how she felt about herself. And yep. so that's another way to think about movement is it's a way to experience yourself as someone who can grow and change. And that applies to everything in your life. Couldn't agree more. So, okay. One thing I want to make sure that we talk about too is um, the stress component. Like I know obviously you've done so much work around stress. If you want to kind of give a little bit of an overview of like the findings of kind of the upside of stress, but also how exercise and movement in general, any form of movement makes your brain more resilient for stress because yeah. that, it, that was really powerful to hear. Yeah. So stress is a complex topic. We're so used to, um, to thinking about stress as a signal that there's something wrong with us or something wrong with our lives um, that is, it can be really disempowering. So in the upside of stress, um, I write about research showing that people who choose to focus not on stress as a signal that like you're screwed up, you're inadequate, your life is screwed up, instead view stress as a signal that this is a moment that matters and choose to think about how stress can help you harness your natural strengths. That Those people seem to literally be better at stress. So their stress responses are physiologically healthier. Um, they experience more joy and meaning, even in the midst of stressful circumstances. They perform better under pressure. Um, and so, you know, that book walks you through what are the ways of thinking about yourself and about stress that really help you be better at stress, even if the stress itself is something you would never choose for yourself. And so the, the mindsets that I walk through in that book, um, the first is the idea that stress can be energy that you can harness, which is particularly helpful for people who deal with anxiety, um, challenges related to confidence, you know, imposter syndrome, around things that are, you could call good stress, like wanting to do well at work, wanting to take on new challenges, wanting to perform well, wanting to compete, wanting to negotiate, that this particular mindset is really helpful in those kind of high stakes situations where you have a goal and you also feel incredibly stressed out about it. So that idea is just, you know, to believe that stress is energy you can harness. And when people do that, they tend to perform better under pressure. Stress can bring out their strengths. Um, they enjoy it more. So that's one mindset. Um, another mindset is I, I think of it as the, um, the bigger than self stress mindset, which is to recognize that sometimes stress is a signal that you aren't alone and you cannot do this alone. Yeah. And so sometimes when we're stressed out, um, we, we experience these emotions that can feel very overwhelming, but what they really are is trying to get you to reach out and ask for help or find other people who are in the same situation so that you can team up and handle it together. That stress often doesn't want you to be alone. 
And, and sometimes what we feel in moments of stress is that nudge to reach out and connect and also mm-hmm. to take strength from our ability to help others, even when we ourselves are stressed out and facing challenges. And so people who have this bigger than self mindset, who don't try to hide their stress from others, who um, are willing to, to sort of accept the support of others and people who take joy and meaning in their ability to help other people who are struggling, like that's sort of the, the big mindset. Again, healthier responses to stress, more protected from health challenges, sometimes related to stress, better able to recover from trauma. And then the last mindset that I talk about is the growth mindset, which is the idea that, again, even if you would never choose the stress that you are dealing with, you would never want it for yourself or for anyone else, but you're in the middle of it, that can be very helpful to know that stress often in the long term leads to changes that people value in themselves and in their lives, whether it's we're talking about post-traumatic growth, uh, whether we're talking about how strength can sometimes strengthen relationships, um, that the most difficult forms of stress are an opportunity to connect with your values, to make changes in your life, to re- reorganize your priorities, to, um, to deepen your commitment to things that you care about. And when people look back at the periods of their lives that have been the most stressful, often they can point to them as, as positive turning points, not because the stress was good, but because somehow they allowed that circumstance to bring out the good in them. And that's that growth mindset. Again, it's a, it's a big paradox of stress. Yes, you yeah. might not want to deal with this. And also, isn't it amazing how those moments can help you tap into your courage, can help you tap into your wisdom, um, can help you learn and grow? So those yeah. three mindsets, they're basically, you add them all together, you use them flexibly, depending on whether you're stressed out about a phone meeting, uh, which, in, which is like a great time to rise to the challenge and let that anxiety fuel you, or whether you're overwhelmed by you know, a health crisis and it is time to reach out for support and not, you know, not believe that you have to manage this on your own and get through it on your own. Well, and I just think it's really all of the work that you do, like you, you know, some of the concepts that are discussed in, you know, the stress work that you've done and obviously in this movement work is it just backs it up with research, right? Because like so often it's hard, like as a consumer of content out there, right? Through like news and books and all sorts of things, social media, that it's hard to understand like what is backed by science and evidence (laughs) proving this to be true. And how can we use that um, to serve us, right? To change our perspective on why we show up or how we perceive stress or how we perceive our ability to move um, or the joy that we can have from that. So I just, I, I'm such a huge fan of your work because I love how you just contribute to the conversation. And let me put that in some context because I love sharing science that that makes people hopeful and that it gives like a real practical strategy. So maybe I'll talk about, for example, a study that shows that if you're feeling anxious and it literally in that moment, you say to yourself, my heart is pounding because my heart is in this and I don't have to get rid of this anxiety to do well. Like this is energy I can use. You say that to yourself, takes 15 seconds. Um, I can point to a study that says you will walk out of that negotiation with a higher starting salary. Like that's amazing. But also I encourage people, you have to pay attention to your direct experience. Even in in studies that are well-conducted and replicated, there's always individual differences. And sometimes the most important experiment you can pay attention to is the one you conduct in your own life. Does this idea support you? 
Is it paying off? Does it feel real? Is it consistent with your experience? And when you combine the two, that we get some direction, some inspiration from science, and then you start to trust yourself. Um, that's, I think, I think sometimes women are not encouraged enough to pay attention to their direct experience. And this is whether, you know, talking about whether you're trying to decide what to eat, how to spend your time, like, mm-hmm. you know, how to think. Um, I really believe also in the power of, of intuition and, and paying attention. Yes. Yes, that is, and that's so well shown in all of the work that you're doing. So I love that. Okay, you're gonna love this. What we do for the podcast is every interview guest contributes a song to our Spotify playlist. Oh, I do love this. <laughs> I haven't seen the playlist yet. So it's called Empower Her Pump Up Jams. And feel free to suggest like one of your pump up jams if you're feeling in a funk and you wanna take action or just something that makes you really excited. What's one of your favorites? Oh my gosh, I have so many. Um, do you have Move Your Body by Sia on the playlist yet? No, we don't. Okay, let's do that one in Perfect. part because of the YouTube video too. So I get kind of <laughs> obsessed sometimes. You know, songs change their meaning once you see their YouTube video. It's and, so true. Uh, so I'll encourage anyone listening to to watch. If you want to feel inspired to move in ways that are joyful and just to be yourself and to trust yourself to be yourself and be like your fullest expression of who you are, that is what the video is about. So when I hear that song, I feel like it's an encouragement to me, not only to move your body, but I feel like C is saying, like, go out and live your best life. Yes. Be who you are. I love that. Okay. And any last little like nugget, let me set the stage here. A woman listening to this, she's stressed out in her life. She's maybe juggling a career and she's a new mom and she's just trying to do all of the things. Um, what little like tidbit could you give her to help her take action in her life to just build the life that she lives? Well, one thing that I'm thinking about now is she should go listen to that playlist <laughs> and then do something physically active to it that feels yeah. connected to her community or her relationships or her goals. So if you have a young kid at home, kids love to dance and be goofy. Your kid will be so psyched if you're if you're like, let's like do the crazy things we can think of with our bodies in the living room, <laughs> whatever, yes. like, um, or go for a walk around your community, even the urban, suburban, go, you know, walk around your mall, but listening to a song that makes you feel good about life. Sometimes like the right music is everything. Oh, so, so true. And anyone can do that. Any stage of life, yeah. you could just get up right now. Even if you're at your desk, listening to this at work, like go into the bathroom, put a little pump up jam on and just like dance around in the stall. No yes. one's going to know. Yeah. <laughs> and so Kelly, where can we find you? How can we connect with you? Tell us what you're most excited about right now. Uh, I, I am most excited right now about um, the classes that I'm teaching. You know, I didn't think this was going to be possible, but since I started promoting the joy of movement, I have had people show up in my group dance classes in Palo Alto, California, because they heard about me on some podcasts. So if you are in the Bay Area, you're visiting friends or family, you can come take a dance class with me. So I'm like yes. so excited about that. Um, uh, and then, then they need to take a picture with you and then tag me too. So I can absolutely. get really excited. <laughs> uh, yeah. And people can find me at kellymcgonigal.com or if it's easier to remember the joy of movement, if you just, if you search for that, you'll find me very quickly. Awesome. Kelly, thank you so much. Like I said to you at the beginning, I'm, I'm honestly obsessed and I'm not, I have no problem saying that word with the way that you show up and the work that you're doing in the world. I really appreciate you and thank you for being on the show. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening in. If you love this episode, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with a girlfriend. Like, send it to her right now or post it on social media and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me get the message out. I am so freaking grateful to be on this journey with you, girl. So until next time, I'll talk to you soon.